Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So, we are talking about the the big topic of dispensationalism, okay? So, as a whole, you know we love to teach expositorily here and not necessarily do topical messages. But coming through the book of 1 Corinthians, there were questions that I was asked um, toward the end of it, which regarded about... Um, God's dealing with people, um, and specifically with the church, and how it happens. And so it really kind of tinges into this concept of a greater theology, which is called dispensationalism. Okay? Now, I know they're big terms, but um, last Sunday night, we had a great turnout for the care group. And Brazos, if you don't mind me just saying, I mean, because I mentioned you yesterday, I was really hoping you were going to be here for, Sunday, for the men's breakfast. Um, but you asked a great question. It's a question I like to ask all the time. And I'm going to boil your question down to something else. You didn't say it this way, but so what? So what? So what? Why do I got to know this big word? And, and I basically told you about sodium castanate and all this other kind of stuff. Makes sense? But it, it didn't make that. May, may. <laughs> but I, so I came back and we talk, talked about that in men's breakfast a little bit yesterday. And I think that it starts to make sense. When you begin to realize the tentacles of theologies and where they come out, Okay, they may the big words may mean nothing to you, but they mean something to somebody else. Okay, and where they begin to lead um, are big deals. Okay, and so there are certain things at times we just kind of need to know them. We kind of need to know these terminologies are out there. Okay, and they represent things. And so dispensationalism is a, a big term. Okay, but the concept that I want you to gain from this that it's a system of interpretation. Okay interpretation is extremely important. Again, we go all the way back to that, that statement of good morning. What do you mean by that? Did I mean good morning? Or did I just say it because it really was just a nothing statement? I just saw you and I said, said good morning. That's why a lot of people, I say, hey, how are you? And they say, I'm fine. And a lot of times I like to ask them, are you? Because think about it. When we meet each other, we, we say things that what? We really don't mean anything. We just said it because that's just what we're supposed to say. So, so if I say good morning, do I really mean good morning? Or did I not mean anything at all? Or, you know, like with your spouse in the morning when you wake up and they say good morning, you say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you got planned for me today? You know, is this really going to be a good morning? Or do you really mean, hey, baby, I got a whole lot of work for you? You know, and so then you spiritualize, you symbolize, you allegorize what's really stated. So there's really three primary ways that you translate. You interpret things. You either interpret them literally. i got to turn this back on. You interpret it literally, okay? Literal interpretation. Or you interpret it as it means nothing, or you interpret it allegorically. The Bible tells us to be diligent, to present ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing or clearly cutting the word of God, straightly, straight cutting it, okay? Remember, Paul was the tent maker, and he had to be able to take that, that, that material, and he had to cut it straight, so when he brought it back together again, it all made a tent, okay? And so that implies a literal interpretation, that when we read God's word, God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. I mean, when I read God's word, I don't have to sit there and say, oh, I wonder what God really meant by that. Or, ah, oh, he didn't mean that at all. He just took up space on a paper. Now, you sound, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But you know what, Steve, again, grown, I, I use you as illustrations. It's perfect. Before you got saved, the churches that you went to believed what? Say it real loud. Or not the church. The Bible just contained the word of God. It was just inspired, like Shakespeare is inspired. Okay? And a lot of churches, sadly, that's what they think about the Bible. It really is nothing. It just kind of contains it. But then there are others who believe they have to look at the Bible allegorically, that it doesn't really mean what it says, but it means this, it means that. And we're going to start to look at some of that today as we play this out. But dispensationalism then, the very core of a dispensational system of interpretation is Literal interpretation of the Bible. That you believe the Bible is to be taken literally. Secondly, you believe in something that's called progressive revelation. 
I know, you may not need, know the term, but you probably believe this, and that is that God continually revealed more and more truth throughout the eons, if you would, throughout the millennia, throughout the years, okay? And so that, you know, God revealed so much to Adam, and then he revealed a little bit more to Noah, then he revealed a little bit more to Abraham, then he revealed a little bit more to Moses, and he revealed a little bit more to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and da-da-da-da-da, and he revealed a little bit more through Jesus, and he revealed a little bit more through Paul and Peter and all the other. And now we sit here, and we have this canon of Scripture, to whom much is given, much is will be required. So we have more information and in our hands, on our phones, than Adam ever had. We believe that the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to the glory of God, as opposed to the salvation of man. Though the salvation of man is critical and important to God, but the ultimate purpose of bringing the, the salvation of men is to bring glory to God. Does that make sense? Okay. And then finally, and again, very core with number one, with the first one, literal interpretation. One and four go together. And so last week we talked, over the last two weeks really, but last week predominantly, about this distinction between the church and physical Israel. That the church hasn't replaced Israel. Nor was Israel the church in the Old Testament. That's called covenant theology. Now, what I want to do, Andrew, is I made up some some pamphlets, okay, some brochures. Um, you, everybody's good, every family group gets a color copy, um, if you do that, thank you. Okay, and I have some black and white copies um, that we can fill out. So if you would like, then, a color copy, um, I will make more this week. I just didn't, they cost money. And so I know it, the, the toner was running out, but you'll be able to read on that. Um, so if you'd like a color copy, a nice color copy of this, okay, so it's a trifold, you can see. Um, I don't mind making more, but since they cost money, you know, it's being frugal, right? Which otherwise is termed as what? Cheap. cheap. So, I'm okay with being called cheap. I like frugal better, so I'll say that I'm frugal. So, but if you'd like one of these, you can have one, okay? Um, so just let me know. I'll have more next, no, this one for family group today, and then um, we'll have those because there's some that aren't here. But if you'd like more for your family, um, please let me know. Seriously, for real. I, um, it's, a, um, it's something that's important. Okay, now, on this, what I want to show you, what I have on here, okay, because this is a tool for you, okay, is um, in this, um, I have the definition of dispensational theology, okay, that's here, and we're going to look at this in a moment, but I'm not going to spend time on this today, because we spent time on it, but at the bottom of that page, you can see I also have the def definition of covenant theology that goes on to the top of the next one. You can read that, okay, but... The, the main distinction between the two, okay, are that one and number four, okay? That it starts with covenant theology believing that the Israel was the church in the Old Testament and that the church is Israel in the New Testament. So the church always has been, and so physical Israel is done. They don't, they don't, that God's not going to deal with them anymore, okay? That's contrary, as we've seen in Jeremiah 31 and 33 and many other passages, that is contrary to the Word of God. If you read the Word of God literally, if you believe that God said what He meant and meant what He said, then He still has a plan and a purpose for physical Israel. Okay, And so, in doing that then, these individuals have to allegorize certain portions of Scripture in order to say God really meant something different. Make sense? We don't believe that. So you can see, Family Bible Church, Viewpoint. At Family Bible Church, we believe that the Bible should be interpreted literally. Hence, we accept the dispensational approach as we interpret the Scriptures. Okay? Now, what is that definition, then, of dispensationalism? This is just a review to bring us into this. Okay? And that is, that is a system of interpretation which, which using, and this, I'm, I'm reading straight from this. Okay? So you can read right off the back of that. Okay? It's a system of interpretation using a literal interpretation. System of interpretation, which using a literal interpretation, believes that there are specific time frames or periods of history where God has given additional revelation and stewardship responsibilities to man. Each of these stages of history or dispensations can be marked by a beginning event and increased stewardship responsibility as a result of the additional revelation being given, da, 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 the failure of man in a closing event. Okay? 
Another primary aspect of the system of interpretation which impacts various points of theology is the recognition of the distinct nature of the nation of Israel and the church. Okay? And so I have there Romans 11.25. I'm not going to go through this because we went through it last week. Okay? And so we see that God assured his covenants with David and with Israel. Okay? Now, on the inside, then, of this okay, is um, a graphical delineation of what are commonly accepted as the seven classic dispensations. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight, I don't necessarily, I I think there are potentially more. We'll we'll talk about that as we go, okay? But I potentially think there are less. I mean, it's just, it's it's all one of these fluid things, okay? But, But here's the big deal. This is what is commonly accepted. And we can see very clearly on this, okay, um, that God did deal in at least these seven areas differently with the people, okay? And we're going to take the next three or four weeks going through these, okay? Now, what I want to say before we start going through these individually, okay, is that there's another way of going through it, not going through it, but to see this as a a bigger picture. And that is... um, Regarding Israel, remember Israel is God's chosen people. Now the church is important, okay? But God is going to once again deal with who? Israel. So the first three of these dispensations, innocence, conscience, and government, which we'll look at today, are all, if you would, pre-Israel. Does that make sense? Okay? The next two, okay, are promise and law. Those deal with Israel. Because it begins with Abraham, the call of Abraham, and it ends at the cross, if you would, at the rejection of Messiah. Okay? We can debate when Messiah was rejected, whether it was a rejection at his birth, rejection at the cross, you know, whatever. Those are you know, minor issues. Okay? I think potentially that the fulfillment, the full, fullness of it, though I think he was rejected at his birth, I think the fullness of it was a rejection at the cross. Okay? When they literally killed the son. Psalm 2, like we talked about yesterday. right? They killed the son. Rather than kissing the son, they killed the son. Okay? <clears throat> And then there's the church, okay? And so three, two weeks from now, we'll talk about the church, okay? And so we see the church in and of itself, and then we'll move on into the kingdom, okay? And when we get to the kingdom, there really is a gap and that we have to, and this is where I said, and we'll talk about it then, okay? But since we see this distinction between the church and Israel, you can see that distinction right here at the cross, right? There was the ch- Israel, and then there's the church, right? Okay? Well, what happens then, in, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, it's just kind of get, start to get your mind to think. What happens then at the harpazo, what commonly referred to as the rapture, or the snatching away of the church? When, when, when God comes and he takes the church out, and there's the beginning then of the seven years of tr- what is called tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, which is really, I know I'm, I may be blowing some of you away with this, but that's okay. Just accept what some of this is right now, and we can talk about it in more detail, Okay. But that final seven years of tribulation really is the final week, 70th week, of a vision that God gave Daniel in chapter 9. And he said that these 70 weeks are for your holy people, your holy city. It's for the Jews. Okay, And so the first 483 years of that were between the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem until the cutting off of Messiah. That actually literally occurred in history. It's recordable, okay? But there is one seven-week, or seven-week, I'm sorry, seven-year period that is left. That's still to happen. That we, begin, we see in Revelation chapter 11. It begins with Revelation chapter 11. So, so where do you put that seven-year period? It's not part of the kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. So you've got this seven-year period that's going to be between the church and between the kingdom. Is it Israel? Is it the church? Or is it what? Another dispensation. Anyways, so you can kind of play with that one in your own brain. Make sense? There are so many ways we can break this up. You can go into 10, you can go into 12, whatever, okay? But in my brain, there are three primary groupings. There's pre-Israel, there's Israel, there's the church. Or, if you would, I don't like to say post-Israel, because post-Israel makes it sound like I'm what? Saying Israel's gone. Yeah, but I don't mean it that way. Make sense? But if you figure that all prophecy in the Word of God is focused on Jerusalem and through Israel, even the book of Revelation, then it kind of makes sense. you got the, the Noahic, Adamic, Noahic time, which is pre-Israel. Then you got Israel, 
then you got the, the church time, okay? Today, we want to look at these first three, okay? And so we're going to jump right into this. And you, so you have that chart, and on your sermon note sheet, you have the, the same four uh, breakdowns of things that we see each, in each one, and that's where we, where we want to go. And so what we're doing today is we're going to do a real fast study, if you would, overview of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, okay? Because all three of these dispensations make up the first 11 chapters, okay? And so right off in the beginning, clearly the beginning, we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? And what do we see in Genesis 1, 1? In the beginning, God what? Created. What did he create? Everything. The heavens and the earth. Everything we know, okay? So, everything that's physical, he created it. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. God saw the light. It was good. God divided the light from the, what? The darkness. God called the light, what? Day. Words are important, right? Unless you believe that the Bible should be allegorized, then they mean something totally different than what you think they mean. Okay, But if we take this literally, if we're going to read the Bible and say that God meant what he said, or said what he meant and meant what he said, right? then words are what? We're critical. Okay, So God called the light day, the darkness he called night. So listen to words. So the what? Evening and the morning were what? First day. So how did God define a day? By a period of light and a period of dark. And the light he called morning or day. And then the darkness he called night. And so a day was defined as a period of darkness and a period of light. Does that make sense? I mean, I know this sounds so, for, for many of us it sounds like, duh. But I want you to think about this. There are many people then who say, well, it doesn't really mean day. What it really means is what? A period of time. Eons. Millions of years. That the Bible and evolution could go hand in hand. And so this is millions of years in here that, that's actually occurring. Fine. How did God define that period of time? It was a period of darkness and then a period of light. So if it's a million years, what do you have to have? Well, half a million years. Yeah, if it's a million years, then you've got to have a half a million years of darkness and a half a million years of light. Do you get it? If you, you've got to be consistent. Or you're totally what? Allegorizing everything. And that's exactly what happens. Light doesn't mean light here. Light means spiritual morality. Darkness means evil and wickedness. Do you get it? Because so, now it doesn't mean it. Because it can't mean that. If it can't, if you accept evolution then Genesis 1 can't be true. It can't say what it really says. But if you believe in a literal interpretation, if God really said what he meant and he meant what he said, I say this only because this was huge for me when I first got saved. Because I believed in theistic evolution. Okay? So, since I believed in theist, my, 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 my mom, okay, and this is, bless her heart, okay, growing up, we went to a church that didn't necessarily believe in, 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 in the full literal interpretation, okay? And I was being taught evolution in school, and they didn't know how to do it, so my mom tried to show me how evolution in the Bible could go hand in hand. And since I didn't necessarily believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, right, I didn't really read the Bible. So I just what? I accepted that. But after I got saved, and someone had challenged me, read the Bible, have you ever read the Bible? Well, yeah, so I've read the Bible. No, I mean, have you really read the Bible? Well, okay, no, I've never really read all the Bible. Well, would you read the Bible? Well, you start reading the Bible, and I'm in a Bible study with somebody, right? And so we end up doing Genesis 1. And now all of a sudden I'm reading what? I'm a, a contradiction of what do I believe. That's exactly right. So what do I do right now? Do I allegorize? Or do I accept the fact that what I believed all my years was wrong? Ooh, that's an ouch. Exactly right. They can't go together. 
It doesn't happen that way. You can continue on in day two. He separates the water above from the waters beneath. Day three, he separates the, the dry, makes the dry ground appear and all the trees grow. And the trees, all these trees grow in what? 24 hours, a period of darkness and a period of light. Again, if it's millions of years, what happens to trees when they have 500,000 years of darkness? They're going to die. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. And it's on the fourth day, the fourth day, mind you, not day one, not day two, not day three, but the fourth day that God makes the sun, the moon, the stars. Now, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense because I know that the earth is what? Revolving around the sun. So God couldn't have done that because science tells me this. So now I've got to make a decision. Did God make this mass and, and start to do things and then put that mass in orbit? I don't know. I'm not telling you that's what he did. I'm just telling you that if there's a perplexity, what I have learned in my life, that if science tells me one thing and God tells me another thing, who am I going to believe? I'm going to believe God because God never changes. It's amazing how evolution, evolutionary thought process, and I'm not going to call it a theory because it's not even a theory. It's a hypothesis. It's never been proven at all. It cannot be put into the realm of a theory. And, and, and we have just accepted the fact that it's even a theory. They try to tell us it's a fact, but it's not even a theory. It's a hypothesis. You go to the, the scientific uh, standards and levels, it's not there. It's never been proven at all. Show me some missing link. You can't because of what? It's missing. Get it? Evolution's never been proved. Thought processes of evolution, some things, they may take things that are true, but that doesn't make the whole process of evolution. The thing, uh, macroevolution, the, the importance of it is that you have to be able to prove that something is changing to some, something else that's better, not worse. Okay? So, again, Genesis chapter 1, okay, we see this creation. Okay? So, the first event that begins all this is creation. Okay? This is called the dispensation or stewardship of innocence. Why? Because the chief of God's creation on day six was man. And God makes man in his image and in his likeness. You can look, read through Genesis 1, you'll see that down in verse 26 and 27, that God makes man in his, his image and his likeness. Right? And it's good. And then in chapter 2, we read a little bit more now. It kind of breaks out day six a little bit more. We read that God actually took the dust of the earth he formed it into what we know as Adam, and then he, he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Okay? He gave him mouth to mouth resuscitation, or mouth to nose resuscitation, whichever we want to call it. And he breathed, sir? Maybe, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. It's not resuscitation. You're very good. He gave mouth and nose suscitation. I love it. That's exactly right. Vance Havner used to say about revival, he says, you can't have revival if you've never been vibed. You've got to be vibed. What we need is viable, not revival. Anyway, so I love it. Yeah. So he suscitated them. Good. Good job. Good catch. So he breathes into them the breath of life. Okay? This is the, the paramount thing that's going on here. But in this then, God places them in this garden. Man doesn't know sin. Could you imagine living without struggling with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? I can't comprehend that. I'm looking forward to heaven. I, I, say again? I said, I'm looking forward to heaven. I can't figure it out. I mean, I don't know how life would be like that, okay? So, but Adam did. He was there, right? He was put in the garden, and he was given a specific responsibility slash test. Responsibility, take care of the garden. Test, don't eat of the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Think about it. There's all these, garden, all these trees that are there. He can eat from any tree he wants to. All these different fruits that are there. I don't know what the fruits were, but they're all there, right? And he can eat from anything. He's just not allowed to eat from that one special tree. One special tree. But you know how it is. If someone says don't do that, it instantly makes it a desire in your heart to do what? That one thing. Ooh, why don't they want me to do that? Ooh, that sounds like interesting. You know, tell your kids, don't touch that tree. You know, what are they going to do? I'm going to go touch that tree. Okay? Now, we can pick on our kids, but guess what? Adam wasn't a kid. He was a what? An adult. We as adults, what? Struggle the same way. So, what we see then is his failure in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Now, actually, it wasn't his failure. It was his wife's failure. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But when, when God comes to Adam and says, Adam, did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat from? What does Adam say to him? Wait, 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 wait. Not just the woman. It's the woman, the woman you gave me. Who does he ultimately blame? God. Don't we love to do that? God, if you wouldn't make me this way, I wouldn't have been that way. 
Huh. We wouldn't say that, but that's really what we think. That's really how it plays out. But Adam was just straight out. God is the woman you gave me. She gave me the food and I ate. Wait, stop. Did you have to, Adam? Well, no, I didn't have to. But you know how it is when you've got a woman there and a woman's holding it to you. And if you say the woman, no. Oh, God. You know, no, Adam. Sorry. That's, we're not 2,000 years into this thing. This is really day one still. You don't know how she's going to respond. You should have used your spiritual uh, headship and, and told her no. That's sin. You've already ate it. You're gone. New model. Okay? <laughs> I don't know how it would have played out. Do you know how it would have played out? I don't know how it would have played out. But all I know is that Adam what? He ate it. And it was when he ate that sin came. God didn't come when the woman ate. God came when the man ate. Well, it just happened so fast, God didn't have a chance. Really? God didn't have a chance? Come on. God allowed it to play out. And so as a result then, there was a what? There was a final event or a punishment, if you would, that occurred because of that. Man was then, at the end of chapter 3, Man is then kicked out of the garden. Now, I want to say that it's a, it's a final event because it's not just punishment. This is act of God's grace. Note why, in Genesis chapter 3, that God kicks man out of the garden. So he won't eat from the tree of life. Two things happening here. He won't eat from the tree of life. We're not going to be solidified in our sin. But God also says, so that what? He won't become like us. Okay? So... There's a point where that God puts us out of the garden. It's punishment, okay? It protects his glory as well, but it really is on our behalf. Death's going to happen now. Why do we die? Say again? Say it again. The aging process process begins, yeah. And so at that point, we're going to die. But death is a portal. That's how you got to realize it. It's not a finality. It's a portal. I'm, I'm not looking forward to the process of death, just being straight, okay? But I'm looking forward to the other side. That's exactly right. I can't comprehend what it's going to be like to be without sin. I, it's just mind-boggling. My mathematical brain cannot comprehend this thing, okay? But I am yearning for it. How I am yearning to, to be at the point where it's, it, I'm not struggling with it, that I worship God and I glorify him, and there's not even a, a thing in my brain about myself. Okay? So God put man out of the garden. That was the final event. Okay? Well, the next thing we see then in Genesis chapter 4, so if you've got your Bibles there, look at Genesis chapter 4, because we have the next dispensation, the dispensation of conscience that's going to begin at this point, and we have an event, again, which begins this. In Genesis chapter 4, we read, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and, he, and said, I have acquired a man from Yahweh. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, and in the what? Process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Yahweh. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And Yahweh respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door, and a desire is for you, but you must master it. You should rule over it. Okay, so... We have this event, and there's so much contained within this event that we don't have a lot of time to talk about, but, but here's the deal, okay? What we see in this event, straight off the bat, is that there had to be additional revelation that God gave to these people, okay, than what he first gave to Adam in the garden. Because we're told, we don't know what, but we're told that both Cain and Abel knew what? They're, they needed to bring an offering. Now, be careful of the word offering here. Many people read blood offering, and, and so Cain's was, wasn't accepted because it wasn't a blood offering. Now, I don't know if that was the case or not, but it's not the word for it, okay? There are various Hebrew words for offering, for sacrifices and offerings, okay? So the word olah 
is, is a burnt offering. The word ishi is an offering made by fire. Those are the words that are used for a sacrificial burnt offering. Okay? This is the word mincha. A mincha is the word that is used for a grain offering, actually, in, in the book of Leviticus. Okay? There is the word korban. So think korban, sort of close, but a korban. Okay? And it means a general offering. Okay? It's a general thing. Okay? This is the word mincha. Okay? There is also the word zebach, which means it's a, it's a slaughter. Okay? And so it's not a zebach. It's a mincha. Okay, and so this is a, just a general offering, maybe even a grain offering. So, but the idea of it is also the word that is used then for a first fruit offering. Okay, so, right, so think, Abel brought what? The firstling of the flock. Cain just brought some, okay? Whatever it was, so I'm not making a profound statement here on that one, but whatever it was, God had what? Communicated. They both knew the expectation. Does it make sense? So whichever of those it was, it doesn't matter. God had communicated his expectations. In the process of time, they both did it. Make sense? They both came because they knew that it was, this was something that was expected. But Cain didn't what? Didn't meet the expectations. He was wise in his own eyes, and he thought he could do something other than what God had declared it needed to be done. And so what happened as a result of it? God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, right? So... They had a responsibility, slash test. The responsibility, slash test, was what God told Cain. What was their responsibility? Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what is right. Okay? So what's right? We don't know. We do, but we don't. Okay? Specifically, we don't know because it's not, what? It's not recorded for us. It was orally given. They understood what it was. But in in the essence... What is right? What God declares is right. So righteousness, the term righteousness, is being right according to the standards of God. God has determined what is right. And so he says to them, if you do what is right, which then you understand is what? If you do what I tell you. Isn't that what you parents mean when you talk to your kids? Okay. If you do what I told you to do, then what? Things are good. Things will be good. You get ice cream. Woohoo! No, I'm not, I wouldn't tell my kids that, okay? But they don't know. But sometimes you tell them to do something because in your mind you already know you got a reward already planned, right? But you're not going to tell them if you do this, you're going to have ice cream. You just say, hey, I want everybody to clean the house. Let's clean the house. Let's get it done. Let's, let's do this right away. Let's work as a team. Get it done. And then when it's all done, you say, hey, look at this. We did it. And guess what? I got a reward for you. But if they don't do it, they'll never what? They'll never know because really, what, what's happening on the other side now? You got a punishment. You got a discipline issue. You got a chastisement that's going to happen, right? And in your house, it may be. See, mine, I used to joke about getting a seven bladed fan, you know, we just kind of. Anyways, you have to have a bunch of fans in your house. Anyways, so the, uh, we don't know. So God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will you not be blessed? Will you not be accepted? But man what? Man filled the test. Turn over to Genesis chapter 6. It gets worse from Cain. In fact, Cain doesn't learn the lesson. Man doesn't learn the lesson. But we see that it continues on. So in Genesis chapter 6, we read, Now it came to pass, again, it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And no, I'm not going to go there. We went there years ago. It's on the web. You can, when I broke all this down, figure out who those people are. You can go listen to that one later. Okay? That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and that they took wives for themselves, all whom they chose. And Yahweh said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, and the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh was sorry that he made man on the earth. How grievous is that? Yahweh was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Man failed the test. Every intent, think about this, every intent of the 
thoughts of the heart. Can you get any deeper? Every intent of the thought of the heart was only what? Evil. Evil what? Continually. And God was grieved. Man failed the test. And so the final event of the age of conscience, or the stewardship of conscience, is the worldwide flood. Noah found grace, is the next line. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah, God told Noah then how to build the ark. He gave him instructions. Now, we're not told all the specific instructions. We're told a lot of instructions in there of what it's supposed to be, but I'm sure there was additional instruction that was going on. How long did it take? Was it 120 years? Is that why what God meant by the years of men will be 120 years? Or do you mean that he was going to start narrowing down the age of man to 120? There's a debate on that one as well. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? I don't know. I think 120. I think that 120 goes to that. Could I be wrong? I could be wrong. Make sense? That's kind of where I'm at on it. So, but I know that it took a period of time for Noah to do what? Build that ark. And people what? Saw him. Build that ark. They, well, yeah, we're told that later in the New Testament that they mocked him as well. How many people got on that ark? Eight. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's it. Okay, look, and, 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 I, and I, I don't know this. This is an argument from silence as well, but I love to think through this kind of stuff. Did he potentially have other sons and daughters? He might have. Did he, did he have brothers and sisters? Make, kind of makes sense, right? They weren't on the ark. I mean, did God take them home ahead of time? I don't know that. But there's a whole lot of things that you think about what's going on, about every intent of the thoughts of the hearts of men were only evil continually. It's all bad of God. Things are bad today. But they're not there yet. But Jesus says that as it was in the days of what? Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to get worse. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a fatalist. I'm a biblicist. Does it make sense? And I believe God meant what he said and said what he meant. Okay? And so I'm still going to go out. I'm still going to live. I still have a retirement account. I'm still having kids. I'm still having, you know, sending my kids off to college. Da, 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 da. You know, I'm not worried about so looking for grandma or grandkids. I mean, anyways. <laughs> anyways, so, you know, life moving on, right? But I know what God, what, has declared. So, so we have this final event, the worldwide flood, which the world, again, declares what? Never occurred. Go to West Virginia, top of the mountains, there's seashell, uh, what do you call it, uh, fossils. How do you get a fossil of a seashell on the top of a mountain? Did you ever think that one through? A fossil is something that has to be quickly covered and then disintegrate while it's covered. Something dies on top of ground, it doesn't become a fossil. It becomes dirt. Something has to be rapidly covered, and then it has to disintegrate. What's the proper word for that? Uh, Not disintegrate. Decay. Um, Inside that cavity, and that cavity becomes the fossil. Does it make sense? I mean, that's that's how you get a fossil. Okay? So, how do you get a fossil of a seashell? On top of a mountain. How does a seashell become quickly covered by sediment on top of a mountain? Go figure that one. Okay. So that's all safe for that one. Okay? But there are people who what? They don't believe it. It's just a what? Story. I remember my grandma. She got saved two weeks before she died. I praise God. It was the best funeral I ever did. It had been the worst funeral I ever did two weeks before that. Okay? But I remember my grandma for years. Robert. Don't call me Robert. I feel like you're yelling at me. My grandma could call me Robert, though. Robert, you don't mean to tell me that you really believe those myths. Yeah, Grandma, I really do, because I don't believe they're myths. I think it's factual history. And one day, and so we get, she told me what she thought of God, and I said, well, you know, from your perspective, you're right. but one day when you, when you get to know him, you're going to find out that he's not what you think he is. And so the day before, the, I mean, she died that night. I got, drove all the way up, got there, got to see her in the evening. She died that night. She was waiting for me. And it was really kind of cold. And, and I got to see her literally on her deathbed. And I said, Grandma, what do you think of him now? 
And she just smiled, just beamed. It took me long enough to know my Jesus. How cool was that? He was a totally different person than she ever thought he was. The heathen rage, the nation's rage, because they don't know him. So anyway, so that was the final thing, right? You got this flood. But we have then, at the end of the flood story, going into chapter 8 and chapter 9, we have the beginning of the next stage, and that is the age of government, okay? And so if you would, turn with me to chapter 8 of Genesis, chapter 8 of Genesis, beginning of verse 20. Okay, so Noah gets off the ark, okay? Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh. Note, stop for a moment. Noah gets off the ark, and immediately he what? Good. Worships God by building an altar to offer sacrifices. Okay? Now, stop for a moment. What did, what did Noah take? I know you've got to read this, but I'm, I'm counting on some of you know, already knowing this stuff, right? What did Noah take on the ark? Ah, you know where I'm going with it. I'm waiting for everybody to say, what, two of every animal, right? But that's not necessarily true. He didn't take two of every animal. He took every animal. He took two of most every animal. But he took seven of every clean animal. Two of every unclean animal. Well, we're not told that at that point when he takes them on the ark, but we're told. So the point is that Noah must have known already, though it's not recorded in the scriptures ahead of that. God must have what? Given revelation. Okay? He must have instructed Noah the difference between what? Clean and unclean animals. What, did, did Cain know what that, that was? Did Abel know what it was? We're not told what Abel offered, necessarily, whether it was clean or unclean. Make sense? We're just told that he offered of the flock. Okay? But we're not told the reason why he did it. So was that part known back then? I don't know. But I do know that by the times of Noah, that what? It was understood. And that it was also understood then by Noah, the minute he got off the ark, that the first thing he wanted to do or needed to do was what? Offer sacrifice. Worship God by offering a sacrifice. Okay? So we see that at the end of chapter 8. In Yahweh, verse 21, Yahweh smelled a, the soothing aroma. Then Yahweh said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, listen to what he tells them now, be fruitful and multiply in what? Fill the earth. Okay? Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the field, every earth and every bird of the air and on all the things that move on the earth and on all the fish and they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it from the hand of every man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Do you know what that's called? Capital punishment. Okay, just saying. It's all the way back there in Genesis chapter 9. Okay? For in the image of God he made man. What's the reason for capital punishment? The glory of God. Man was made in the image and likeness of God. When man, when man destroys man, he's actually an attack against God. And there's punishment that's reserved for that. Verse 8, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, as, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Not localized floods, but a what? A worldwide flood. Okay? God says never, that everybody will be. Okay? In verse 12, God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant that's between me and the earth. So, God starts off this new, this new stewardship of responsibility, this new stewardship of time, if you would, with the covenant that he makes with Noah. It's called the Noahic covenant. Okay? I know, big deal. But you know it. Okay? God came down. And he makes the covenant with Noah. But the covenant that he makes with Noah is not just with Noah. Who is it with? Everybody. It's with everybody. It's with the entire earth. Okay? 
And so God states in this covenant then, okay, some requirements, some responsibilities, tests. Okay? There were two specific things that in this government period, okay, because we see that God established this human government. Because the blood of man is going to be required by who? Man. Man now is responsible to bring capital punishment for the murder of man. Okay? But the other thing that's going to be very critical, that God tells Noah to do specifically, immediately, and that is what? Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth. Fill the, we forget that side of it. He adds it. Fill the earth. It becomes very critical because we see the failure of man when we get to chapter 11. Okay? So turn with me to chapter 11. So when we get to chapter 11, we see man's failure. Right off the beginning, chapter 11 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Okay? They were all descendants of who? Noah. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right? So the whole earth had one language, one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Modern-day Iraq. Okay? Just, just saying. That's where it's at. Okay? Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, look at what they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city in a tower whose top is in the what? Heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, not for God, lest we what? Ah, lest we be scattered, where? Over the face of the whole earth. What did God tell them to do? Fill the earth. earth. What did man say? Let's build a tower and stay here and, and make a name for ourselves. And we're instead of giving God the glory. So man said, no, we're going to serve ourselves. We're going to do what we want to do. And God said, fill the earth, but we know better. And we're going to what? We're going to stay together. This is what we want to do. So you know the rest of the story. You know, what did God do? He confuses their languages. God comes down, and then all of a sudden, he's Deutsch. Yeah, yeah. See, so all of a sudden, you might hang out with us because you know him probably a little bit more than me. Anyways, but all, everybody starts start speaking German does what? They go off and form the Germanic language, the, the tribes, right? Habla español? Yeah, un poquito, yeah, 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 much poquito. Anyways, un poquito, me, yeah. Okay, so those who speak Spanish are going to go this way, you know? Uh, Parli por Francais? Zoe, oh, Zoe's over there. She's saying, yeah, I do, I do. Zoe, you'd go every place. I mean, you'd know Ukrainian and Chinese and French. Anyways, so, anyways, but, but <laughs> it's nuts. Anyways, don't you wonder if someone like Zoe, if God, did God do that to someone like Zoe? And they're like, I don't know where to go. Anyways, <laughs> I understand everybody. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so, so God confuses the languages and all of a sudden the tribes, they're forced to do what God had originally declared. That's the final event. Okay? And it's an amazing thing. But God's word stands for what it is. And I forgot to do it. We're already here in government. <laughs> Anyways, you were glad with that, weren't you? So, so there we are. Okay? We've come through three of those dispensations immediately. These are all the ones before Israel. What we're going to see now at the end of chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, while Noah's still alive, this is fun stuff, that there's a man named Terah. Because okay, we have this whole genealogy coming all the way through. But it comes down to Terah. Terah decides to move away with his son, Abram. Abram becomes Abraham, and we have the call. So next week, that's what we're going to begin to look at. We're going to be looking at the call of Abraham and how God now begins to do a major transition, Okay, where now he's going to choose one individual that he's going to work through. He worked through Adam and his race. Then he found, Noah found favor in there. But now all of a sudden, God's going to what? He's going to streamline it again. Okay? So, in the end, questions? Oh, oh, implications, real quick. All right. Literal interpretations, very, big deal. Okay? So, how do all these things come to be? Literal interpretation? you got a literal creation in a what? A literal flood. In a literal confusing of languages. Do you believe it? Or don't you? 
Progressive revelation. We saw that as we went through, how God continually revealed more and more as we went on. The glory of God, that God was caring about his glory. That's why he did the things that he did. And then the distinction between Israel and the church, we're not there yet. So next week we'll talk about that because this is where next week is when we're going to get into that distinction where God's beginning to do it. So do you believe in a literal six 24-hour day creation and a worldwide flood? God said that. So, okay? And so if you say no, then what you're saying is, honestly, what you're saying is, I don't believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. I believe that I know better than what God has declared. Okay? Or do you believe that they are just good stories, or do you believe that they mean something totally different? Okay? How are you responding to the truth God has revealed to you? There are some parts of the story of Noah and some parts of the story of Cain and Abel that I what? I don't know. I take it by faith. But God has what? Revealed certain things to me. I can sit there and I can worry about, wonder about the things I don't know, but it's meaningless. What have I done with the stuff that God has given me? Are you responding to it? Again, for me, that Genesis 1 thing was a major deal. That was a major impact for me. It was a whole change of my entire worldview in that one moment. I fought till I was blue in the face for evolution. It was with Woody, Woody Prophet and Barry Quartz. Barry was a missionary to Argentina, and Woody was my mentor. And, um, and so, I mean, I sat there, and I, mean, I just fought. But I already knew what? I was wrong. I just don't like to lose a battle, you know? And so I just continued to fight, 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 fight. But I knew I was lost because I was fighting against who? I was fighting against God. So, what do you do with the things that God is revealing to you? Do you believe that God's standards of faith and obedience have changed? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Okay? I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think the things that that God revealed to Adam, the things that God revealed to Cain, the things that God revealed to Noah, the things that God revealed to the earth, all apply to Bob. He hasn't changed. The things that he's working out with man, mankind applies to me. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your goodness to us. Thank you again for your word. We know that it is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that as we, we go through your word, Lord, and we consider it, Lord, that you would help us to see that you had a plan and a purpose even from the beginning, even before you ever created the heavens and the earth, as we see in Ephesians chapter 1, you already had the redemptive purpose already lined out, that you already knew that the Son was going to come and redeem us because we knew, you knew that we would sin. It didn't take you by surprise. And God, we just glorify you for that. Lord, help us to continually be minded of the fact that we are just a creation. We are a creature, not the creator. But you are the creator who is forever and ever. There is no other God beside you. There will ever, never be another God beside you. Help us to magnify you as such. In Jesus' name, amen.